Right, yeah. I don't like those kids. They just said, I don't have a job. That's what they said. So, wow, no, I like kids. I used to be one back in the day. I used to be a kid, yeah. So, before we get started, I want to say what's up to the other campuses. What's up, other campuses? In fact, um, I'm gonna st I want you to wave at me when I say the campus name first. We'll just try this and see what it's going to look like. What's up, um, South Barrington? How you guys doing? Yeah. And then we got Chicago. Then we got Crystal Lake. We got Huntley. And then who else do we have? We got North Shore. We got Wheaton. We got South Lake. And then we also have uh, the lazy people online. So I'm so glad you guys are. I'm not saying you lazy. You just, hey, you know what you are. So I'm excited to be here. We're going to have some fun and stuff. We're going to laugh. Bless my amazing Tremendous wife is here. I love my wife so much. And then my daughter is here too. <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to see her later, actually. But she's charging me for it. Anyways, um, hey, welcome to church. Glad you guys just got here. Yep, perfect timing. They just passed the plate. So, yeah, you timed that out perfectly. It's great. Is it safe to go in now? Okay, cool. <laughs> that is hilarious to me. So... I'm going to tell a few stories today. I'm going to really reshare. I haven't been here for Sunday morning in a while, so I'm going to reshare my story. I was praying. I feel like that's what I should do. Also, I want you to know that me and my wife are launching a tour this fall called Funny How Marriage Works, where we use funny to help people understand how marriage works. Some of you guys have experienced some of this already. I'm super excited, but the official launch is going to be in the fall. We created a course as well called Funny How Marriage Works. One of the things we like to teach is, in marriage, <laughs> you should not compromise. And that's the look I always get. But I'll, only, I'll tease you with this. If a bridge was compromised, would you drive over it? Would you like to have a compromised immune system or a computer? So why would you live in a compromised marriage? <laughs> So it's fun. I'm going to leave you with that. <laughs> anyway, you want to check. We got some really cool resources out there, too. You can buy as much stuff as you want. It'd be great. Remember where the proceeds are going? It's going to a black family in America. It's awesome. We got the sign language lady. That's awesome. That means she has to say whatever I tell her to say. Michael Jr. is so attractive. Look at his muscles. It's amazing. Now, you could have did more for the muscle part. You could have got to like flex a little more. more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I need a little more for the muscle. <laughs> that, that, <is> awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So there's three verses of Scripture that's going to apply to what I'm talking about today. I want you to write them down if you could. And when you go home, read them. I think they'll pop in a new way as a result of what we talk about today. The first one is Jeremiah 29.11. You've probably read this one before. But after today, it's probably going to pop differently. There's also John 10.27. And then um, 2 Romans 12. If your book has, if your Bible got a 2 Romans, you should take it back to Dollar Tree because it shouldn't have a 2 Romans in it. I was just testing. Some of y'all wrote it down. You're like, ooh, that's a good one right there, 2 Romans. I love that book. No, no, there's no 2 Romans, people. Revelation 3.20 is the one. So I was just testing, making sure you guys knew your Bible stuff. <laughs> So, I'm going to tell you about my church experience. When I was a kid, church was miserable. We're already laughing a little bit this morning, not at the church my grandmother would take me to. You couldn't laugh. It was One time I laughed, this lady was jumping around, her wig fell off, 
I cracked up laughing, like laughing. And my grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch. You gonna twist? That's the devil right there. That's what I was thinking. Also should mention, I'm very excited about, um, before I go on, I'm excited about the Global Leadership Summit. You guys don't understand, you have that here. There's people coming from all over the planet to be a part of something that you have in your own backyard. So by all means, you wanna come check it out. And this year is gonna be great, I'm sure. But then coming up after that, it's somebody special gonna be there that I really love a lot. I'm not saying who, but for sure, you just, uh, just it's amazing, it's phenomenal. Pour into yourself by showing up. You're gonna be a greater leader in whatever you do as a result of it. So you wanna do that for sure. Back to church, when I was a kid, it was miserable. Oh my goodness, it was miserable. My clothes were so tight when I went to this church. Every single Sunday, I'd wear a brown and white shirt. Well, it was just, it was actually just white, but it was so tight that the buttons. <laughs> so it looked like it was brown and white. My shoes were like three sizes too small, at least three sizes too small. And my grandmother had this thing called a shoehorn, which means if your foot don't fit, now it do. So my foot is in there all, and church lasts like six hours. Then we would go in the basement to eat a sandwich and come back up. Like it was halftime or something. It was miserable. Oh, it was so, so bad. Then my grandmother, she would force us every week to go there. And we walk in and this guy is up on stage and he is mad at everybody. And I figured he must have been mad because of the phlegm that he had caught in his throat. Because at the end of every sentence, he would try to get it out. He would try to loosen the phlegm up by saying, the Lord said, ah. At the end of every sentence, he would do this. Act like a ah. I'm like, why don't he just gargle before he come out here, Grandma? It was miserable. He had a Bible in his hand. He kept playing like he was going to throw it at us. He'd be like, the Lord said, ah, ah. And everybody gets scared. Hey, man, hey, man. I realize now they were saying amen. I didn't know. I was seven. It was miserable. I'm talking about miserable. Church is just, but it's, but it's different now. Like, it's way different. Now I understand some stuff. Before, it was just a bunch of weird old people who was mad. They show up mad, and they leave mad. I'm like, this is just, it's got to be a better way. 14 years old, instead of forcing me to go to church, my grandmother asked me if I wanted to go. She gave me an option. She's like, do you want to go to church? I was like, huh, let me think about this, Grandma. No. So I wouldn't go to church anymore. I was like, I ain't going to church. I just hung out with my friends. And we were broke going up. We had no money. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't even know we were poor. Like, I never, this is how I found out we were poor, by the way. I, st I stayed the night at a friend's house, and I made fun of him in the morning because they couldn't afford cereal in a bag like regular people. I'm like, your stuff is in a box. Y'all broke. No, I thought... Crunchy Captains was the real name of the cereal. Turns out we were poor. Anyways, 14. So my grandmother had me go to this, this church. It was miserable. It was like, ah, I couldn't stand it. And we were broke. My dad, when I was 14 years old, I wanted an action figure. Actually, when I was 10, I just wanted an action figure. We were so poor. He handed me a box. I opened it up. It was empty. He said, it's Invisible Man. <laughs> I played with that thing for three weeks straight. Till my brother hid it from me. <laughs> I couldn't find it anywhere, man. I hung up posters and everything. 
She's like, how'd you hang up a poster if it was invisible? Never mind. I also noticed around this age, well, me and a friend made a deal that we wouldn't curse anymore. Let's be honest. You're 14 years old. You want to feel like a man. You lead a house. I don't know nothing about Jesus. I would curse all the time. Me and a friend, that's what we would do to feel like a man. Then I realized, I realized this is probably not the way to go. So we made a deal. This was our deal. If my friend heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest hard as he wanted to and vice versa. And he could hit really hard. So I stopped cursing immediately. We played other violent games, too. Remember the game Slug Bug? If you're from the East Coast, they call it Punch Bug. Here's how the game works, in case you're not familiar with it. If you see a Volkswagen Bug, you get to hit your friend. Those are all the instructions. In my neighborhood, they would take this game a little too far. They would add to the game. You ever play Uppercut Fire Truck? What about Minivan Body Slam? You ever play that game? There was always one crazy dude in the group who would make up games on the spot, like hitching a throat to a building. <laughs> you play too much, man. Miserable stuff. Just, ah. I also noticed at this age, I was, I was struggling with my reading. Now, I knew it before this, but I didn't really, I didn't care. But now I'm noticing girls, I'm around 14 years old, and I, I'm struggling with my reading. I read fine now, by the way, like the signs over the door to say excite. I can read that stuff. But I used to struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound words out phonetically. It just didn't work that way. I'd have to look at the word differently. I would look at the font size and the color and the positioning and what's in front of it, what's behind it, and how people responded to it. I actually came up with seven different ways to look at a word to determine what that word was. Then I got really good at this. To the point in high school, I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. Like, I was just constantly working out. Now, I still have this ability to look at things seven different ways almost immediately. Even though I read just fine now, but I can still look at things differently. In fact, this is the primary place that I pull my comedy from. So that very thing from my past that looked like it was a handicap. It seemed as if I was dealt a bad hand. God didn't cause it, but he's used it in preparation for what he has me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing, even though I didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this again so you can hear what I'm saying. That thing from your past, the fact that you never met your dad before, your parents were divorced, you were molested as a child. God did not cause that, but he will use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. You've been practicing. Maybe someone needs to hear your story so they can be set free, and you can too. You've been practicing. But for a lot of you guys, it is game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. Or you'll get in the game, not know what to do, and just end up practicing some more. So as a result of my practice, I find funny everywhere. I just do. The other day, I bought my friend a smart water. The next time I saw him, I was very disappointed. <laughs> People ask weird questions. Michael Jr., where are you from originally? Originally? Huh. Well, I was conceived in Michigan. Before that, I was with my dad. Uh -oh. Then there's a swim competition, and, um, and I won, right? So, which is crazy, right? Because currently, I don't swim at all, man, but I was fast back in the day. I was really fast, apparently. There's a lot of competition, but I was fast, man. My niece asked me to help her with some English homework. She was like, what's the difference between a hard G and a soft G? Like, English? I just speak English. I don't know English, but I'm her uncle. I got to say something. I was like, a, a soft G is from the Bay Area. A hard G is from the south side, Chicago. <laughs> That's what I told her. She 
She failed her. She failed the test. I just want to throw that out there. But yeah, that's her now. <laughs> She's younger than you thought. <laughs> that is hysterical. 26 years old. I moved to New York City. I hope you're tracking with me. Went from seven. 14, 26 years old, I moved to New York City. The reason I moved to New York City is because I want to know if I'm funny. And in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. So I moved to New York City, and there's this comedy club there called the Comic Strip Live, and it's a really nice club. Like, it's, it's a really, really, really nice club, and it's hard to get into. Comedians who are new in town start lining up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning so they can do, like, three minutes in front of the manager at 7 p.m. In hopes, that, in hopes that the manager likes them enough so the next month they don't have to wait in line and they can do another three minutes of comedy. It's really hard to get in this club. So it's finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live. And right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now, George Wallace is a very established comedian. So when he walks in the room, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next. I know I'm about to get bumped. The manager is already walking to me. I know I'm about to get bumped, it's about to happen, but no, this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. So the manager walks up to me and says, Michael, listen, George Wallace is here. Would you like to go on before him or after him? You never get an option. You never get an option. I got an option. I was like, uh, before him, please. So I go on before George Wallace and I got New Yorkers laughing. Not only are they laughing, but he comes in the room and he's laughing as well. And then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians there all around him asking him questions. He leaves them and he walks over to me. And he says, you know what, you're really funny. I was like, oh, thanks, man. He said, and you're clean. Let me ask you a question. He's like, why don't you curse? I was like, I don't know if my grandmother walked in or something. <laughs> my grandmother wasn't coming to New York. What else was I gonna say? My friend might hit me in the chest. I'm a grown man. So he, he says to me, he invites me to do a show with him and his best friend. I'm like, I am pumped and excited. He said, I want you to do a show with me and my best friend. I didn't know who his best friend was. Then he says to me, I get to the show, it's me, it's George Wallace, and it's Jerry Seinfeld. And I'm pumped and excited. And we do two shows together, and I got two standing ovations. I rip, I'm the man, I'm like, yes. After the show, the club manager walks over to me. And he said, Michael, you had a great set. Really great set. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. Would you like to go to church with me tomorrow? I'm like, church, man, why are you messing this up right now, man? Back up, you're making my feet hurt. I literally had that thought. In retrospect, I remember having the thought, back up, you're making my feet hurt. So I'm going to pause the story right here for a second, and I'm going to climb out, and I'm going to share something with you. The reason I had the thought of back up, you're making my feet hurt, and I could only remember that thought in retrospect, was because when I went to church, it was very uncomfortable as a child. Remember, my shoes were like three sizes too small. So I had what is referred to as a negative neuroassociation attached to being in church, meaning church to me meant my, it was going to bring some sort of pain. My brain just attached that to church. So whenever someone would approach me talking about God or they had a Bible in his hand, I would immediately back up and not want to have anything to do with those people because it was uncomfortable. But I didn't recognize it was a misassociation with the pain I was in just from sitting in church all day. It had nothing to do with him. It was choices from them. Had I known that earlier, had I been curious enough 
to just question, well, why do I dislike these people so much? Why, why am I so uncomfortable? I probably would have came to Christ way sooner. You should question everything. You should be curious about why you don't like things. Like, just get curious and be like, huh, is there something here that I'm not familiar with? As opposed to just saying, I don't know, I just don't like it. Let me jump back into the story. So this dude asked me to go to church, and I was like, nah, I'm cool, man. I ain't going to church. Now listen, there's only two reasons you do anything in life. One of these two reasons is the reason you married the person you married. It's the reason you're here this morning. It's the reason you have the child by the person you have a child by. It's only two reasons you do anything in life. One is to avoid pain. The other is to gain pleasure. Test it when you leave here. It's only two reasons. So he invites me to church. I was like, nah, I'm cool. 20 minutes later, his fiance, who was fine, beautiful, pales in comparison to my wife. Now, I didn't have a wife back then. She approaches me and she has some sort of accent. She's like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. It's crazy, man. Find me a church. So I go to this church for the wrong reasons. I can't even find these people. And I'm sitting way in the back and this dude comes on the stage and he's talking about Jesus. Just like your pastor. He's just talking. He's not screaming. He's not yelling. He don't got no perm. He's just talking about Jesus. And he did this thing where he did like an altar call. And he said, if you want Jesus in your life, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Stand up and come forward. Jesus is yours. And I was like, yo, I really want to do this. But I was like, nah. I got to read the pamphlet first. Because I knew a couple Christians and they was creepy. There's some creepy Christians out there. If you don't know any of them, it's you. <laughs> yeah, your friends know one. So I told myself, nah, I gotta get my life over. No, I can't. That's just. So I told myself I'd read the Bible first. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm going to church. First of all, I didn't even have a Bible. And then I'm at O'Hara Airport and some random lady just hands me a Bible. We never exchange words. She just handed me a Bible and walked off like the Lone Ranger or somebody. So I opened the Bible up. I read first page I read was the copyrights. Where's this thing from? I don't even know. Like, where would Jesus? I, like, I'm reading, and it's, the Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm like, snap, me too. That's crazy, man. I didn't know. And I'm all fresh. I don't know. I'm like, man, Jesus from Grand Rapids. This is crazy, man. I didn't know this. So I'm reading the Bible, and I'm going to church. Now I really want to get my life over to Jesus. But I told myself I'd finish reading the Bible first. So now I'm digging into the Word. I'm reading like 14, 12 to 14 hours a day. That was like a chapter a day. I was digging in. <laughs> no, it took me 36 days to read the Bible. I finished reading the Bible. And I remember getting to the part in Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. I did not know that Jesus died for me until I read it in Matthew. I'm 27 years old at this point. I didn't know he died for me until I read it right there in Matthew. Then I turned to Mark and he died again. Then I get to Luke, I'm like, he going back in the garden, ain't he? Why is he going back in the garden? <laughs> I get to John, I'm like, I don't understand. You know, but, oh, for real. I wish that was a joke. I actually thought he died four times. I didn't understand it at all. I finish reading the Bible when I go to the church and I go up to the altar like during the announcements. I'm like, yo, I'm here now. Now, I understand stuff. I used to just think I was funny, but now I understand I'm funny for a reason. I see things differently for a reason. These setbacks that I've had can all be used for that reason. If I just choose to go vertical 
as opposed to just looking at the horizontal. Now I'll get some celebrities, some that you would know, who ask me questions about God. And they ask me questions like, one dude said, explain God to me. Dude, I can't explain God. If I could explain God, he wouldn't be God. By the way, remember that dude in Texas a long time ago who said he was Jesus? Remember, it was a long, dude actually said he was, he had followers. This was before social media. People were following him and living with him because they said he was Jesus. I looked up a picture because I was curious. He wore glasses. You can't be Jesus and have an optometrist. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't. Dude, just make some mud and put it on your eye if you're Jesus. That's what I want to see. And then, and then tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. Tell me that. How about that? Nope, that, you're not Jesus. That's not you. Mm-mm. One celebrity said to me, how is it I can do all of these things that I'm doing and people still say Jesus wants a relationship with me? And I knew the stuff that he was doing, and I was like, um, well, here's how it works. And this isn't even close to how awesome God is. This is all I could come up with at the time. I said, God is like a navigation device in the car. You ever been in a car with a navigation device before? You guys ever been in a car before? You ever been in a car? (laughs) So it's like being in a car with a navigation device. If it says go three lights and turn left, then you go one light and turn right. It doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you need to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. The only problem is if you keep making the wrong turns, The road conditions will be different. They may be rougher, and you're running out of time. So you have to be sensitive to listen to that voice. You can make the right choice about where you're supposed to be. And that voice sounds an awful lot like a coach because you haven't been practicing for nothing. It's game time. So, ah, it's a story. So I leave New York City because it's too expensive, and I move to California. My cousin had a couch he said I could live on in, uh, in California. And in New York, uh, at this point, I'm homeless living in my car. Like, for real. I talk about it in the, in the book, but I'm literally, people ask me where I live. I was like, my address is 1997 Lumina Drive. Chevy Lumina Drive. It's funny, because when I lived in New York, I, didn't want, I never wanted to lie to people. Even though I wasn't a Christian, I just didn't want to lie. So I would literally park my car on the east side of the street. So if someone asks me where I live, I could be like, I, I live on the east side. Anyway, I'm not telling that story right now. So I leave there and I go, to, uh, I go to Los Angeles. And in California is the best comedy club in the world. It's called the Comedy and Magic Club. It's so prestigious. I couldn't even physically get inside the club. I couldn't, well, I couldn't afford a ticket and I couldn't get in the club. But, this, but George Wallace is in town. And he calls me up and he says, would you like to go to the Comedy and Magic Club? And I'm like, yes. He takes me there. He can't get me on stage. He can only get me in the club. After the show, he takes me into the green room, and there's some soldiers in comedy in the green room. And now it's George Wallace, Gary Shanley, Jay Leno, and then me. And I'm tripping to be in the room with these dudes. And they had this big spread of food. And it was was a huge spread of food. And I'm just nibbling on French fries, even though I'm I'm actually hungry in every aspect of the phrase. But I just didn't feel like I hadn't contributed anything. To, I didn't feel like I belonged there, so I'm just nibbling on fries. And then at the time, they were working on a joke. Some of you guys may remember a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was suing the league for $400 million. Now all of these guys are helping Leno for that joke for the monologue on The Tonight Show on NBC. I ain't saying nothing. I'm just happy to be nibbling on fries with these dudes. 
But then they got quiet and they looked at me. And I was like, oh, snap. This is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye, and he's suing the league for $400 million. He's not going to see half of it. Like, for real. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading. I was practicing just like you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing. I'm here to let you know you were practicing, and for a lot of you guys, it is game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So I've got one of two stories. There's a story that I have that I won't have time to share of a, a fugitive of the, of the law came to my show. It was in the audience, wanted by in five different states. Dude's at my event. And what took place was, more, was pretty miraculous. But that's not a story I'm going to tell. Oh, by the way, after Jay Leno Autumn laughed, I grabbed a piece of chicken. How do I do this? So I have a nonprofit called Funny for the Forgotten, where we go to homeless shelters and prisons and abuse children's facilities, and we, we, we take comedy there. And I, did, I was doing a show at a prison, and I was scared, right? It's a captive audience, but I'm still scared. So I walk into this prison. This is the story about me, the first time I ever did comedy in prison. <laughs> That's hilarious. You all right, man? I'm going to let you finish up. You're still laughing. So I walk into this prison. I'm scared for real. Like, I'm scared. I, I know God told me to go there, but I'm afraid. But I got like eight prison guards around me, so I'm not super scared, but I got eight guards around me. I'm scared, and um, then I, I'm, we're walking in. There's a few bars, walking in some more. I got seven guards around me, so I'm good. I'm good. I keep walking in a little further. I got five guards. I'm good. I got three guards left at this point, so it's cool, cool. Couple more steps. It's me and Barney Fife. It's just us two left. One, one guard left, and he was like, hey, man, this is as far as I go. I was like, well, me too, man. I'm just going to tell you these jokes right out here. And he explains to me there's, there's going to be a bunch of prisoners. They're all in a circle. And then in the middle is a little, that's where you do your jokes at. And they gave me a little black box with a pin in it. And they said, if anyone tries to attack you, just pull the pin out. And then we'll come in and help. You going to come in and help? That's the plan? You gave me a black box like we on an airplane or something? That's what we going to do? This one dude in there, his job is to keep the pen in. Like, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I, but I know God is telling me to go. So I start walking in here, and I need a joke immediately. I need these dudes to like me immediately, but not too much. <laughs> and the warden took my belt from me, too, by the way. When I walked in, they took my belt. They said, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. I'm in prison. My pants loose. This is a bad idea, man. <laughs> So I figure I got seven steps before I hit the middle of the place, and then I got to do, I probably got three seconds before I got to start talking to get into a joke. Problem is, is I don't have no joke popping up. I'm walking, I look cool on the outside, but I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing. No jokes popping up. I'm looking around, nothing, nothing. I got two steps left, still got nothing. One step left, nothing. I lift this foot up, nothing, nothing, nothing. I settle this foot. And Willow, for real, sitting right up front is a white dude with a white beard named Moses. I was like, thanks, Lord. <laughs> when I said these words to Moses, the place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. I said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. 
When you see the prison warden, I want you to look him in his eye. You look him right in his eye, and I want you to say, let my people go. <laughs> For real. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't that much pressure because I've been practicing even though I didn't know I was practicing. I was prepared for that moment God had me in because of the practice I had done previously. You're prepared for this moment that God has you in because of the practice you've been doing previously. You will be prepared for the next moments God has for you because of the practice you've already done. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice or you'll get in the game and not know what to do and just end up in the same place you've always been. So me and my wife were looking at some old home videos. Uh, it wasn't super old, more like a VHS or whatever. Um, she just looked at me like, what's up a hush? That's not, it's nothing. So we're looking at these old home videos. We came across a video of our youngest daughter being born. And I'm going to show you this video. <laughs> not her being born, no, because my wife don't want you to see that one. So this is, I took this video. The video I'm going to show you is a video I took. But I didn't understand the power of it until I watched the video. So let me set it up for you. Our daughter, our amazing, awesome, beautiful daughter at the time is two and a half minutes old. And they got her under the little chicken warmer, the thing to keep the french fries warm. I don't know what kind of insurance we had back then, but it was just. So the nurse is about to clean her up, and she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. It's okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay, baby. Yo, that was pretty powerful. Now, now it's like seven, seven and a half minutes or so later. The nurse is done cleaning her up, and she starts to cry again. I speak up, and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. So here's the thing. There's going to be times in life, and for some of you, this has been happening a lot where you feel like you've just been practicing and practicing and practicing. Even to the point of tears. And you're tired and it seems so hard. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he loves you. He's right here. All you have to do is open your eyes. You hear some music? Yeah, he early again. Not yet. It's not your concert, bro. It's not your concert. You just got to wait. Just got to wait a second. You got to wait a second. I got one more story I need to tell while you trying to get people emotional right now. That was, did you feel it? I was like, Lord, is that you? No, no, it's that dude 
right there. It's him. It's him. Yeah. So, yeah, I got one more story I need to tell. First, let me tell you how I came up with the story, and then I'm going to tell you the story. Then that dude's supposed to slide in right there, but he was a little early, and we all got emotional. Yeah, yeah. So this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. And the way I came up with this story is I was writing a joke. I was writing a joke about the good room. How many people here know what the good room is? Raise your hand if you know what the good room is. See, there's only a few hands going up. And the reason you don't know, but the truth is, is mostly all of you, you at the other campuses as well, you know what the good room is. The good room is that room in your grandmother's house or your aunt's house or maybe your house. It's that one room that's better than the rest of the house. Can't nobody go in there. It's plastic on the furniture. It's really just for looks. How many people know what the good room is now? Raise your hand. Exactly. So I'm, so I'm writing this story about the good room, and in the middle of it, God stops me and tells me to tell this story instead. So I'm going to tell you the story. Now would be a great time to jump in, man. That's amazing. It's early and late. That is awesome. You know how you pull that off. That was, he did it, though. He did it. He's special. So I want everybody, this is how the story, this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. This just came to me when I was writing a joke. So I want everyone in here and everyone at all the other campuses, but please, I'm talking to you as well. I want you to imagine, imagine that you are a house. And outside of the house is Jesus Christ. And he wants to come in but he'll never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. And the reason some of you have not invited Jesus into the house completely is because you're, you're cool with the way things are right now. Whenever you need something, you want a little distance between you and him. So whenever you need something, you just walk up to the door, crack it open, tell him what happened say a little prayer, and then close the door and then go back into the house. But that's not a relationship at all. How can you hear his voice under those circumstances? How can you utilize the practice under those circumstances? And the reason you won't let him into the house is because your house is a mess. Or you think you need to clean it up a little more first. Or somebody told you it has to be perfect first. There's been other people who've tried to force him in the house but he won't come in that way. He'll only come in if you open the door. There may be drugs in your house or pornography, or you're being extra busy doing a bunch of stuff, volunteering, trying to distract yourself from what's going on in the house. Or relationships, you brought other people in there hoping that maybe they could help you clean it up, but they can't. The only one who can clean it up is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand waiting on you to truly open the door. Then there's other people in here right now used to have Jesus in the whole house, but whether you realize it or not, you've moved him to just one room in the house, the good room. He can have that space. Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean, but it's not, it's just that one room. So when they hear about you coming to church, they think the whole house is clean, but it's not, it's just that one room. You quote scripture, but it's just that one room. You give money, but it's just that one room. 
You got a verse tattooed on your body, but it's just that one room. Jesus wants access to the whole house, and I'm telling you, if you would just open this door and let them in, he'll show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit, and they will make sure the house is fully functioning the way it was intended to. But none of this happens if you don't open a door, because he will not, he will never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. So if everyone in here, if you could just close your eyes for a moment, bow your head if you want to, at every campus, watching online as well. Watching online as well, I'm talking to you. As your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, if you know that I'm talking to you and you're one of the many, if I'm talking to you and you know you need to invite Jesus into your house, whether it be for the first time or to give him full access to the house, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. Don't overthink this, but on the count of three, I just simply want you to put your hand in the air. Whether it be the very first time you've done this or you're doing this to really let him in the entire house instead of just one room. On the count of three, just simply put your hand in the air. Hands are already going up. One, two, three. Praise God. Praise God. I see your hands. I feel your hands. Go ahead and put your hands down and look up at me. First of all, let me say this. I'm proud of you. Now, I am going to repeat that phrase a certain number of times. And what I want you to do is simply work on receiving that phrase because there's some people here who have not received that phrase from a father's voice before. So I'm going to repeat that again, and I want you to simply receive it. Some of you will have to work to receive it, but by the time I'm done, I'm believing that you'll receive it. I am proud of you. 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 Now, this next thing is for everyone who raised their hand and even those who should have raised their hand. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Jesus says, if you would take a stand for me before man, I would take a stand for you before my Father in heaven. So what that's going to look like right here on earth, right here at every other campus as well, even though it's on earth, what I want you to do is on the count of three, I want you to stand up and remain standing. And the reason is when you raised your hand, it was like you were reaching for the doorknob. And notice how the doorknob is really high. It's because you're coming to God like a child. It was as if you were reaching for the doorknob, but when you stand up and we do this prayer together, you're blowing the door open so Jesus can come into the house. So again, this is for everyone who raised their hand, and even those who should have raised their hand. On the count of three, I want you to stand up and remain standing, and to help with that, everyone around you, they're going to applaud, they're going to applaud as loud as they can, but it will not compare to the applause that the angels in heaven will be doing when you stand to your feet and remain standing. One, two, three. Just stand up and remain standing. Stand up and remain standing. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a prayer together. Keep standing. We're going to pray. We're going to do a prayer together. I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Just repeat after me in the privacy of your heart. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for me. 
Thank you that he rose again on the third day. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins, for every sin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what's going to happen next. There are going to be some prayer people up front. And in a moment, everyone who raised their hand, even those who should have raised their hand, and anybody who needs prayer for anything, I love this so much. In fact, everybody be seated. I'm going to just make this as... This is going to be, this is so awesome. So they're going to have some prayer people up front. Where are they at? They, they'll be up here shortly. They're going to appear out of nowhere, I'm sure, in, in seconds. They're going to be here. All, unless they all went to a different church. This is horrible. Anyway, no, here they are right here. So here's what's going to happen. For everyone who raised their hand, and even those who should have raised, those, everyone who made that decision, who stood up, and anybody who needs any sort of prayer, they're going to be doing a song shortly, and we're going to want you this is so cool. This is so cool. For those who made that decision, I'm going to want you to stand up and come forward to pray with someone, to have a conversation with them. The reason I want you to do this is because I want you to do something different than what you've always done. You just made a big decision, but normally what happens is people come to church, they sit down, they get up, and they leave. It's this exact same pattern. I want you to break the pattern today and do something different than what you've always done. So what this is gonna look like, and it'll be a little uncomfortable, which is awesome, because when you leave this building, it'll be a little uncomfortable based off the decision you just made. So what's going to happen is they're gonna do a song. I think the song is Come to the Altar, which is brilliant. <laughs> what I want those people who made that decision to do, I want you to stand up and awkwardly, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, make your way to the altar. It's not going to be comfortable. Because some of the things that God is calling you to will not be comfortable. So I hope it's not comfortable. I hope somebody got some sharp, ashy knees that scrape up against your thigh as you walk by. Let this be an, a representation of how you're going to get down when you leave this place. Because most people will be going in one direction. God is going to be calling you in another direction. Some people will just be seated and God is calling you to stand. So those who are seated, let them sit. But those who need to stand, I want you to stand. And I'm only talking to the people who need prayer, but the people who are already Christians and love Jesus, I want you to sit. I want you to represent them other people. And I want you to understand, I want you to do something different than you've always done, and you're gonna get something different than you've always got. It's gonna happen right doggone here. I absolutely love you guys. Oh, I love you. They're about to do this song. It is so awesome. It's come to the altar. I love you. I love you. I love you.